Hey, this is Empowerment Coach Ashley Baxter, host of the Courageous Word Podcast. However, this particular episode is from my old show, the Restoring Heart Podcast. Although I removed most of the 30 episodes from that show, there were seven that I could not part with, and this is one of them. You can feel free to listen to it or skip ahead until you get to the first episode of the Courageous Worth Podcast, which is entitled Helping You Live with Courageous Worth. FYI, if you do continue to listen to this episode of my old podcast, know that my business has undergone many changes since then. So some things mentioned may no longer apply. For example, my social media handle and website names have changed. Today, you can find me on social media platforms at the Ashley Baxter, and my website is theashleybaxter.com. Okay, you're still here, so I'm guessing you're about to listen to this episode. This particular episode is one of four in a series I did on sexual trauma awareness. I'm a survivor of sexual assault, so this series was very important for me to make to help get this information out there. I highly encourage you to listen to the series. There's so much helpful education in it. So thanks for listening to this episode from my old show, as well as listening to episodes of my current show, The Courageous Worth Podcast. Welcome to the Restoring Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Baxter, and every Thursday, a new episode is posted to help you restore heart to your life and to the lives of those around you, because our hearts are valuable and desperately needed in this world. Hi everyone, this is Ashley. Today's episode had some audio snags. What is the main action that should always take place in recording an interview? I'll give you a hint. The answer is in that question. That's right, ding, 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 record. I had myself and today's guest all mic'd up, but when I thought I hit the record button, yeah, apparently didn't do that. However, I was also videotaping the recording. So, Sound was picked up, but just on the basic sound recorder built into my camera. It wasn't great quality, but I was able to clean enough to salvage parts of it for this episode. Therefore, this episode is going to be a mix of me sharing information I gained from the interview, as well as pieces of the interview itself. This episode is the third of a four-part series about bringing awareness to sexual assault and abuse. Today's episode is from an interview with Amy Feep, who is the executive director of an accredited child advocacy center in Wilmington, North Carolina, called the Carousel Center. There are national child advocacy centers located all over the U.S. Many other countries also have similar organizations in place. In the U.S., each accredited center may have a different name, such as Pat's Place, the Safe Child, Child Advocacy Center, but they all have met a set standards of care for children who have been abused or neglected. A lot of what a child advocacy center model is all about is revolving around the child instead of having the child revolve around the community, which is what used to happen before child advocacy centers were put in place. To help paint a picture of what it was like for a child before child advocacy centers, let's say, for example, a child confided in a teacher that they were being abused then at that point, they would have to disclose their story to someone there at school, then again to local law enforcement, then again at the emergency department, then again at the detective division, and then again to Department of Social Services. They realized that this clearly wasn't the best scenario for a child who had been traumatized for them to constantly retell their story. So they created the Child Advocacy Center model in which after disclosing something had happened to them, a child would then come to just one place that is child-friendly. In that one place, they would have a forensic interview that is sound and based on scientific protocols, as well as have a head-to-toe medical evaluation there. 
just like a physical someone would have to have to participate on a sports team, but conducted by a forensically trained medical professional. On next week's episode, which is the final episode of the series, it's actually an interview with someone who conducts those types of examinations for adults who have said that they have been sexually assaulted. However, as you'll hear on that episode, it doesn't matter if it's children or adults, it is so important to have a forensically trained professional conduct those examinations, both for the patient's sake and for the sake of the quality and amount of information that is being collected during that examination. And then lastly, and most importantly, child advocacy centers help a child get on a path of healing through therapy treatment. So as you can see, child advocacy centers do an amazing amount of good in this world. They provide an environment that is right on a child's level and have put structures in place to make the necessary steps be as streamlined and as least triggering as possible for a child. Now, let's jump into parts of the interview. So how this episode will go, again, since there were some audio difficulties, is I'll play a few minutes of the interview and then I'll pause to go over the main point shared, mainly because this episode is so important, has so much crucial information that everyone should listen to. And so I don't want you to miss a thing. Now, although the interview portion of the audio isn't where I would like it to be, it isn't going to destroy your ears. Clearly, I would not have put this episode together like this if I thought it was unlistenable too. (laughs) However, if at any point the quality isn't agreeing with your ears, you can always go to the show notes for this episode. You will find all of the important information that we went over during this episode, but just in written out format. So that is at restoringheart.com backslash podcast, and then just go to the show notes for episode 23. We are jumping in right now to a point in the interview where I ask Amy to share what grooming is since grooming is a term often discussed with sexual abuse cases. What we miss as a society is we think that it's the kid who has somebody drive up to them and go, hey, I lost my puppy. Can you help me find my puppy? Oftentimes, that is not what's occurring. It's usually the adult caregiver walking with the child with the adult that says, hey, can you help me find my puppy? I lost my puppy. And that adult normalizes themselves and ingratiates themselves with the adults in the white child first, because that's the surrounding alarm around all of our babies. The predators are very skilled at grooming the parents or the adult caregivers first to get their guard down. And then they work their way into testing the boundaries physically with the children. I always use the example of the Penn State Jerry Sandusky case, 27 different young men of varying ages that didn't know each other, that weren't in the program or around Mr. Sandusky at the same time, specifically talked about how I don't have a dad that's active in my life. He took an interest in me. He brought me to the Penn State campus and let me meet the football players and let me work out in their workout room and shower with the football players and like got to do all these things. And then he would invite me over to his house. He had this great bedroom that we would like watch sports and stuff in, in the basement. And then it progressed to, then we did the tickle game. Then he would blow on my stomach. And it was amazing to me that 27 separate stories, literally some version of what I just said, all those steps were very clear and outlined. And predators have very specific things that they like to do. 
they get them comfortable as they move closer and closer to what their ultimate goal is, which is to then do acts that are sexual acts, mm -hmm. whether it's perform them on the child, have the child perform them on them, on the adult, or a combination of both. And in general, depending on the age of the, of the child, it could be that they're giving them alcohol or giving them other drugs or making that accessible for them so that they are not only more pliable as a, as a victim, but also because they're doing something they're really not supposed to be doing in the first place. So they're sort of planting that seed for the child to believe they're complicit in the abuse because mm -hmm. they're doing something they're not supposed to. So a grooming behavior really depends on the age of the child and the nature of that predator. But it's all about the first step has to be disarming our society's natural first alarm around every child. And that's what makes it so hard because we do want to believe that we're protecting our kids really yeah. well. And we are, but the predators are aware that we are protecting our children and paying attention. So they had to adapt too. They get us, the adults, to let our guards down first so that they can get access to our children. Predators are really good at being available and being in and around where children are. They are also really good at being in positions that allow for them to have some assumed power or assumed esteem or safety that they've been vetted in some way because of whatever position they might hold. A lot of the predators are in positions that give them a lot of access. But we've already, as the adults, given them a lot of trust to be having access to yeah. these kids. So it is always really important to still stay vigilant, but not scare the dickens out of your children because the world is not full of people that are just out to sexually abuse them. I think we get stuck as a society on the sexual piece of sexual abuse where I would argue it is merely the weapon of choice for that predator. It is the best way to demean and control another human in that way. It is still a power dynamic at the base. Mm -hmm. Even if sexualized discussions, touching, acts, are, happen to be the weapon of choice. Amy just shared some crucial education when it comes to the truth of child sexual abuse. As she shared, Predator's first objective is to groom the adults around the child, basically the child's safety alarm. They do this because it typically allows them greater access to the child because they have won over the trust of the adults, but also because it can make it more difficult for a parent to believe that person actually harmed their child if the child says something has happened. A child confiding in a parent that their babysitter has been abusing them could result in the parent saying they are lying or just confused. Then, once a predator has gotten past the child's safety alarm of adults, they start grooming the child. All of these little acts that seem innocent, but eventually boundaries are pushed. One additional thing Amy mentioned during this part of the interview that the audio didn't pick up well was what she tells parents of children who have been abused. As you can imagine, there's often so much excruciating pain and guilt they are carrying around with them. Amy reminds them of the craftiness and determination of predators. Thankfully, most people in this world are not out to harm children and others, but those that are put so much energy and effort into achieving that. And as she has shared, those that do are typically playing a very long and slow strategy game. As we've seen in the media, Certain people who we would think would never have done something like this have ended up sexually assaulting others. The majority of the cases of sexual assault aren't people hiding in bushes that look sketchy. That does happen, 
But the majority are people who are able to socialize well and seem friendly. I'll never forget when one of my friends was at a gathering, she started up a conversation with a guy that seemed really nice. And then in the conversation, she realized by things he had said about where he used to work and other details that she was talking to the man who had raped me. She left that conversation as quickly as possible and later told me what I took away from that the most was that it really could be anyone. I would have never pictured him to be the person who did that to you. So Amy shares that information with parents of children who have been abused, letting them know of the craftiness and determination of predators. And then she tells them that they need to forgive themselves and move on into the area of tending to themselves and their own pain from this, and especially taking care of their children and focusing their efforts on tending to their therapy and their treatment and their healing. In the next question, we move on from grooming to what are some things we can do to help children. Now, I want to be clear, anyone who experiences sexual abuse, regardless of the age, regardless if they are a tiny child or an adult, they are not responsible for what happened to them. There unfortunately isn't anything, any place or any situation that can 100% guarantee someone won't experience sexual harm. But as you're about to hear, there are some things that may help a child recognize something is wrong or off. Self-awareness is the best personal safety that we can have. That's the best weapon that we can arm our children with. Early and often, we should be talking to our children in age-appropriate terms about their bodies. This is your body. It's yours. The only people that are allowed to touch the parts that are covered of your body by bathing suits are mommy and daddy when we're helping you to be safe and healthy, bath time, you're injured, you know, if you have to go potty, and we're teaching you how to do that. So very specific ways that you're teaching them. There are ways that you would. Doctors that are, that because you're sick and they're trying to keep your body safe and healthy. And so there are very good age appropriate ways to talk to them. Please teach your children appropriate things for your body parts. It is really difficult for them to express what they mean when they're using words like flower when they should be saying vagina because then it confuses things and we miss things as adults. If they say daddy's touching my flower, you're not hearing that the flower they mean, the flower we've taught them is their vagina and not a flower. Self-awareness, understand that their body is their own, are powerful tools we can arm children with. Let's be honest, the world doesn't teach that, even as adults. Movies and songs don't teach that. We need to be incorporating that language into our discussions with children at all ages and in child-appropriate language, as Amy mentioned. An excellent place to go for help on how to have those type of conversations is at themamabeareffect.org. The mama part is spelled with one M, so it's M-A-M-A, then the word bear, and then effect with an E. Again, that's themamabeareffect.org. They have excellent materials. Please check out that website and start having these conversations with your children. And then also teaching children to use the correct terms for their body parts. Another great thing Amy mentioned that wasn't picked on by the audio that you will hear her reference later in the interview is the concept of paying attention when you have a funny tummy feeling. That feeling when something seems off or wrong, even if you can't put it into words or give a reason for it. 
She shares how we as adults need to pay attention to it and also how we need to teach children to pay attention to it and to teach them to share with trusted adults when they are having those feelings. Many times it may be nothing, maybe nothing for four times, but then the fifth time it is something to have concerns about. So they need to know to listen to that, to pay attention, to have that self-awareness and to share it with a trusted adult when they have those feelings. Now we get to the part of the interview where we are discussing what are some indicators that something may have happened to a child. I'm always worried when I hear people talk about 15-year-old boys or girls that sleep with everyone and they're just oversexed and whatever else. That might be true that their budding sexuality may be you know, just on hyperdrive or oftentimes when that is occurring, there's a whole other set of dynamics worth us opening the conversation with that child. Any kind of behaviors that you see that are 180 degree difference, and of course there's no one set checklist because every child is different and how they develop through their milestones is going to be different. But if you notice that your child that is super happy-go-lucky, says hi to everyone, you know, if there's one particular person that they're now all of a sudden 180 degrees different toward that person. Or if you have a teenager that's always been active, 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 involved in this, involved in that, involved in lots of friends, lots of people calling, coming and going, and now all of a sudden they're stalling and withdrawn and they're introverted, right? That 180 degree change, what is the, what's happening? And I think that that's one of the best ways that kids tell us. And I will always say what our clinical supervisor always says, kids who need the most love often ask for the most unlovingness. And so... And maybe they're being neglected or maybe they're being hurt or being um, sexually hurt. And no one's paying attention to any of the other cues that they try to do quietly. And so they're doing behaviors that we would as society brand as bad kid, right? I don't think that that's true. I don't think there are bad children. And of course, bruises, marks, scrapes, anything like that. And for kids, we expect it more. Bumps and bruises are not necessarily out of the norm for a refugee kid, right? But it's still worth exploring. I always say if it doesn't seem or feel right, again, if the adult's having a funny time yeah. feeling about what's going on or what you're hearing that child tell you or explain to you doesn't make sense. And I still feel like it's worth having somebody that's an expert take a look and just ask a few more questions with some care. And again, I, I would rather be wrong than to miss that one child that simply is not going to tell me or is just really not trusting of adults and really have to work hard to try to get them to open up. I always say that if you are wondering, should I call DSS or Parasol Center, you already suspected enough that you shouldn't call DSS in the first place because mm-hmm. if you're questioning, that's a suspicion. As Amy just shared, Bruises, marks, or scrapes can be a common thing for kids that are more rough and tumble kids. But again, if you have a funny tummy feeling, if they are giving excuses for their injuries that seem off, then it may be reasons to suspect something is going on. If a child is acting 180 degrees different than they usually do, or perhaps just that different way around a particular person, there's reason to be curious and talk to the child to see what is going on in their lives. Also, I love that Amy pointed out that oftentimes when kids are constantly acting out, it may be because of something else is going on and they either don't know how to put it into words or that is their way of trying to tell people and show that something isn't right in their lives. 
DSS and child advocacy centers in your area are experts in this field. If you suspect anything, if you have questions, then please, please reach out to them. I loved when Amy said that if you are already questioning, should you reach out to someone for advice? And that means you already suspect abuse may be occurring. In the state of North Carolina and in many other states in the U.S., if someone over 18, so an adult, suspects someone under 18 is being physically and or sexually abused, there is a mandated reporting law that the adult must report to DSS or to law enforcement. So please reach out to them if you suspect something. Communication with children is also a huge part, but I'm going to share more about that towards the end of this episode to string together a lot of the great messages Amy shared. Now, the next question is what you should do if a child confides in you. It should never be construed that that's your fault because really, I've been doing this for 30 years. I know every textbook way not to be raped. And I have just as much chance of walking out of here tonight and being selected by a predator whose direct propensity is to do me harm. So it's not on me because I can do all of the things that are on the checklist of how not to be raped. But if somebody has it in their mind to do harm to me or to rape me, it's going to be a whole lot more complicated for me being able to have personal safety if somebody else is working against that. Believe, accept, and thank them for trusting you get the help in your community of experts. Every community has a whole bastion of people trained to know what questions to ask, how to ask it, to get more context so that we know, is my child somebody we need to worry about? Has somebody hurt me? I really want to kill them, but I'm going to hold it together because I don't want my kid to be upset and see me upset. And sometimes that is the best thing to do. Believe them, accept them, and thank them. Receive what they are telling you with love, believe what they are telling you, accept what they are telling you, thank them for trusting you, then reach out to the experts for help. Believing a survivor is one of the most important things you can do for a survivor. You may have just had a question pop in your head that asks, well, what about kids who are lying? In the moment, You'll hear Amy talk about false reporting and the misconception that a large percentage of sexual abuse claims aren't true. Believe them, accept them, and thank them for trusting you. As Amy shared, the next step is to then reach out for help. I completely understand the desire to want to literally kill the person who hurt your child or hurt a child you know. But here is the reality. That child needs you here. They need you in their life. They need you at this moment in their life more than ever. And if you go and seek physical vengeance, there is a chance that you may end up behind bars. Reach out to DSS, law enforcement, or a child advocacy center and let them take it from there. They know the best routes to take to give this case the best chance it has in court. They know how evidence needs to be collected, the questions to ask. Listen, the truth is that sometimes predators end up in prison and sometimes they don't. One of the hardest realities I have had to face and that so many other survivors have had to face is when there wasn't enough to take the case to court or it did go to court, but the perpetrator wasn't found guilty. As a survivor, you know 100% that a crime was committed. Your body, your memories are proof to you. 
but this person is walking around with no legal repercussions. It was always so difficult for me to realize that if I ever saw him again, and if I was overcome with rage in the moment and started attacking him, that I could be the one to be sent to jail, not him. It isn't fair. There isn't any way I can sugarcoat that. If you're listening right now and something has or does ever happen to you or to someone you care about, then I do hope that that perpetrator does end up in prison and labeled as a sex offender. But if that doesn't happen, don't let that person take one more thing from you by seeking revenge that could put you where that person truly belongs. If you are a parent of a child who has been abused, I will say again, your child needs you here. They need you in their life. They need you at this moment in their life more than ever. And if you go and seek physical vengeance, then sadly, there's a chance you may end up behind bars, which is the opposite of where your child needs you to be. As difficult as it can be, let the systems in your community take the reins of the justice proceedings. No matter the outcome, know that this child, whether they are your own or it's a child who has trusted you enough to share this information, know that child needs you here in their life more than the need to seek physical revenge on the perpetrator. Now, for this next question, I asked Amy to address the misconception that a large percentage of sexual abuse accusations are false. So false reporting is always something that we hear a lot about. I mean, I, I worked in rape crisis work with adolescents and adult victims for 16 to 20 years first, working in child abuse cases for the last seven. Well, how we're blaming children for false reporting is a little different than how we blame adult victims. Which we think is understood. They have a great imagination, so they made all this up. But I want to address that they're making it up. And what I can tell you in the years that I've been doing this work is that kids come in here and their disclosure, you have a five-year-old that is telling you things just matter of fact, that all the adults that are hearing it are absolutely having every hair raise up on the back of their neck because they know the things in the context of the sexual nature of it. But that five-year-old is saying it just as innocently like you and I are having a conversation right now. They have no idea. So I will tell you that most often they are not making scenarios up. I would rather be wrong a thousand times than to tell a child, oh, you just misunderstood, or oh, you're not telling the truth, or you're whimsical, or you're, oh, you have such a great imagination. That is the last bit of the interview. However, I want to share with you an important message that was communicated throughout the entire interview, but didn't come out as fully due to how I had to edit this episode. And then I also want to share with you ways you can support the Carousel Center and the amazing work they are doing. So first, the message I want to share is about communication. That was a thread that was woven throughout our entire conversation. The importance of open and constant communication. We already discussed the importance of having conversations with kids about how it needs to be a conversation that is revisited often, a conversation that is built upon through the years with different age appropriate conversations that need to be had. Again, you can go to the mamabeareffect.org for great information on how to have those conversations. But there is also the importance of what kind of environment and relationship having open and continuous conversations with children is building. If you rarely have time for your children, or if things they share with you aren't received in a loving way, then it's going to make it a lot more difficult for them to come to you if something has happened. 
If you don't spend time investing in your children on a continual basis, then you may not notice that they are acting different than normal. They may start acting out because you don't have a good open line of communication. And instead of thinking something may be going on with them, you jump to the thought that they are just being a rebellious teenager. And that may be the case, but it also may mean that something is seriously wrong in their life. It may not be sexual abuse, but it could be something like bullying or mental health issues. Having conversation be a consistent part of your relationship with your child is one of the best decisions you can make in how to raise your child for several reasons beyond just this. Amy mentioned in our conversation that kids will often test you. When they share something they have done wrong, like maybe they broke something in the house, the way you respond is letting them know how you respond when they tell you difficult things. In last week's episode on the Restoring Heart podcast, episode 22, Crystal Sutherland shared how she didn't tell her mom for the longest time about her stepfather sexually abusing her. She shared it was because her mother had responded to her in different abusive ways before, and she was afraid her mom would respond to her with that same abuse if she confided in her about the sexual abuse. You may not have a hostile environment in your house, but things such as not pausing to truly hear your children, letting yourself get heated up and yell at them, and other reactions in which your emotions take over can communicate to your children that you're not always the safest person for them to confide in. This doesn't mean don't hold children responsible for their actions, but that the communication throughout it all is to be conducted with respect and not letting your emotions get the best of you. Amy shared with me that we often tell kids, you can tell me anything, but it is the moments like this that are building the case for whether that is true or not. Don't just tell them that they can tell you anything. You have to show them over time with your words and actions and reactions. Thank you for bearing with me on this episode in the unusual format due to my audio mishap. Amy's wealth of knowledge and experience made this episode one that I wish everyone in the world could hear. I am so, so thankful to Amy and for her time in this episode and all the amazing information she shared as well as everything that her and her team are doing to help children who've been abused and their families. As it is clear to see, the Carousel Center and other child advocacy centers do work that you could not put a price tag on. I am so thankful that centers like this exist. I can't imagine where child abuse survivors and families would be without their services. The Carousel Center is in Wilmington, North Carolina, It receives funding from a number of resources, including grants, but a third of its funding and other needs come from the community. You can support them financially with time and also donations of other kinds. For example, if you go to carouselcenter.org, click on donate, then you'll find a link called our shopping wish list with all sorts of things from food to have on the hand at the center for kids to gas cards for their parents in order to help them if money is tight to get their child to a therapy session. They have a ton of ways you can help. Also, under that donate button, you'll find a link for make a donation where you can make a one-time financial gift or a reoccurring one. They also have several fundraising events every year, such as a golf tournament, lip sync battle, luncheon, and more. The Lip Sync Battle Gala is actually less than two weeks away. It is on Saturday, April 27th, 2019 in Union Station, part of Cape Fear Community College. If you are listening to this episode on its release date of April 18th, 2019, and are interested in attending, then go online right now to get a ticket because ticket sales last through tomorrow. 
The teams competing in the lip sync battle have been practicing for weeks and it is known for fierce competition. So you will not regret having a front row seat to the entertainment and supporting the Carousel Center. You can buy a ticket by going to carouselcenter.org and then clicking on events. If you suspect child abuse or have any questions, you can always reach out to the Carousel Center at 910-254-9898. They always have people on call to answer the phones. You can also call DSS or local law enforcement. Or if you don't live within the Wilmington, North Carolina area, than any child advocacy center in your local area. Thank you again so much for listening to this episode. Please, please share it with others. The information on this episode is so important and something everyone needs to hear. Next week will be the last episode in this series bringing awareness about sexual assault and abuse. It will be with a friend of mine who conducts forensic exams on people who have said they have been sexually assaulted. Upon hearing what the episode's about, you're probably thinking, I don't want to listen to that interview. But just like this interview, it is one that everyone needs to hear. And let me share a little bit as to why. Having a sexual assault forensic exam, also known as a rape kit, completed on me after I was assaulted didn't even cross my mind. I'll never share publicly details of exactly what happened to me because I don't want anything I share to be triggering to others. And also it's just very personal. So only a few people know those details. But the things leading up to why next week's episode is so important is I didn't know that what happened to me is considered rape because I thought there was only one definition of that. And even if I had known at the time that what happened to me was rape, I also wouldn't have thought that a kit or exam would have revealed anything about what happened to me that could have then been used in court to press charges. Next week's episode will explain a little bit more as you start hearing Kathy tell about all the different pieces of evidence they collect in an examination and how anyone who has been assaulted sexually and is up for it should get an exam completed. So again, we'll go into that more next week. But the thing is that I didn't have that knowledge when I was raped. And had I had that knowledge, I would have gone and gotten an examination done because unfortunately, in the end, it was just his word against mine. And that wasn't enough to go to court. So it is something that everyone needs to be educated on. Even if nothing ever happens to you, which I hope that's the case, you having this information on hand so that if someone confides in you, then you can go ahead and tell them all the things that you'll be learning in next week's episode. You can help them make the decision that is best for them. And in order for us to make best decisions, we need to have all the knowledge available. So I hope that you will tune in next week as Kathy and I make that knowledge available to you. I don't want any other survivor to be in my place. I want them to have the education beforehand because it's too late if we don't have the education when something happens. So please tune in for next week's episode. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Share it with others. And if you don't already subscribe to this show, the Restoring Heart Podcast, please do so and give it a rating on iTunes if you like it. Until next week, do something restoring to your life and to the life of someone around you.